we're in a series called Love Like Jesus. And uh, I, I show my cards a little bit. Some of the topics that we've been covering, you're like, okay, they all have to do with loving like Jesus. But I'm going to, if you Google who are some of the people Jesus loved that was a little countercultural, you'll realize, oh, that's where Joe got the sermon series from, you know? So it's like there's a list that's pretty popular. You can find it in a variety of sites. And, and there's a list of people that Jesus loved that at the time was not really socially acceptable to accept, okay? Uh, the sick and disabled, we've talked about that. Uh, specifically, the way Jesus respected and lifted up women. Um, uh, we, we talked a little bit about that. Uh, um, other things like uh, people of other faiths, or ethnicities, Jesus, you know, the whole story of the Good Samaritan is a good example. We might get to that before the series is done. So there's a list that you could find if you Google, like, who are the people that Jesus loved that kind of stood out? And one of the things you'll see on some of those lists is that, is that Jesus had love and respect and lifted up in countercultural ways children. So we, last week, we, uh, I planned on giving a sermon about how Jesus, you know, loves Jesus, loves the little children. Any church people here? Um, how's that song? Don't, don't. Now it's, now it's in your head. Um, all the little children. And, um, uh, and, and instead, I ended up talking about how our parents maybe haven't always, you know, been perfect, and we, we kind of worked through that, um, and maybe I needed to work through that. But uh, today, I want to continue that conversation about what does it mean for Jesus to love people that the world sometimes doesn't say. So today, in our age, children do hold a little bit more significant spot in society. It's a little uh, in response to, I think, how some of us were raised. You know, uh, children should be uh, seen, not heard, was a very popular saying at one point. And so, you know, when you're raised to kind of like be treated as kind of a, a essentially a piece of property of the family that's to live into the family's expectations, then, you know, we raise our next generation a little bit differently. And then the boomers make fun of us for it. Any boomers in the room? Sorry. Um, but, you know, like uh, the participation trophy generation. And uh, so trigger warning, I'm giving a participation trophy sermon today uh, is probably where we're headed. Um, because I, I do really believe this. Um, what does it mean to really love our kids? Our, our church has lots of kids. Um, gosh, and there's like so many babies right now. There's women and babies. I don't even know. Um, we got like four or five. I can't keep track of in our community. And then a lot of kids, and then those kids are growing up and becoming teenagers. And uh, this is not in my notes, but I'm going to call them out. We're actually in the process of talking about a collaborative youth ministry with another Methodist church on Bethel Road. And Jalen, their youth pastor, showed up today to check us out. And uh, some of our youth have had a chance. You can wave, Jalen. You're not afraid of the spotlight. That's Jalen. You're welcome to talk to him about uh, the possibilities of youth ministry here because we know that our kids, that's the funny thing about kids, right? The kids that are, we're looking at in youth ministry, uh, a, a few of them were in children's ministry when we planted this church, and our church isn't that old. Do you, I mean, it's just, it, it happens so fast, as, as we say, um, and also takes a long time. So I want to talk a little bit about what it means to love our kids, um, and what I've found and what you'll notice from last week is that the way in which we're meant to love our kids is the way that God loves us and is the way in which we're meant to love each other. So I'm going to start with a movie clip, not yet. Has anyone seen the movie Encanto? 
a few of you. If you haven't, I recommend it. A few spoilers today. I'm sorry. It's been out for a couple of years, though, so um, only sort of sorry. Um, it's a great little Disney film, um, and, and, and it's about a family. It's about a family that had to run from a difficult place, and, and they end up in this new land, and this magical, it's a Disney film, so this magical stuff happens, and all of their kids and grandkids end up with these superpowers. They're not called that. They're called gifts, but they're superpowers, like one, and some are more useful than others. Like, one can, like, produce unlimited flowers, like, okay, um, but others can lift really heavy things, and so one person can, like, hear really well, which honestly would not be a superpower I want at all. Um, and I think it does mess with her mental health a little bit. Um, uh, this other brother can predict the future, which is always, isn't always bright, so they don't like him at all. But they have these supernatural gifts. I want to just show uh, the opening scene, because um, I think it's really important for the conversation well, we're going to have today. Honestly, would not be a superpower I want. Open your eyes. Um, and I think it does mess with her. Hey, my voice is coming through too, Tim. We'll, we'll get it figured out. Mm-hmm. This candle holds the miracle given to our family. How did we get a miracle? Long ago, when my three babies had just been born, your abuelo Pedro and I were forced to flee our home. And though many joined us, hoping to find a new home. We could not escape the dangers. And your abuelo was lost. But in our darkest moment, we were given a miracle. The candle became a magical flame that could never go out. It blessed us with a refuge in which to live. A place of wonder. An encanto. An encanto. The miracle grew. And our house, our casita itself, came alive to shelter us. When my children came of age, the miracle blessed each with a magic gift to help us. Tonight, this candle will give you your gift, mi vida. Strengthen our community. Strengthen our home. Make your family proud. Make my family proud. If you've not seen the movie, you find out very quickly in the next couple scenes, she doesn't get a gift. No gift. All of her siblings and aunts and uncles, you know, special powers. And, 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 but she doesn't get a gift, and she's got to figure out what, the, what does that mean for her? What does it mean to be belong to a family that you don't have anything to offer? Is, you know, the question. I was specifically struck by this 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 scene and and, and by a because of a Facebook random Facebook post I read in prep well, I was already planning on saying some of this stuff and then I ran across this Facebook post and um, 
you know, the, the grandmother is basically like, this is what she's saying in my own words. She said, hey, you're going to get this miracle. You're going to get a special power, and you're going to use this special power to bless our community, and you're going to make our family proud. Which, on the surface, sounds fine. Like, totally reasonable thing to say. No, they had no reason to think she wouldn't. And, like, it's relatively positive. But here's the funny thing about this is we don't realize... Sometimes, as parents, what we say by what we say, because she doesn't get a gift. And what you'll see in the movie is that she has to wrestle with the fact, well, if I don't have a gift to offer our community, how am I going to make my family proud? And so, by default, she assumes I've not been a blessing to my community, and I have not made my family proud. It's true, at least in this family, that whether they have a gift or what their gift is or how they use it or, you know, determines how valuable they feel in their family. So much so that one of their family members is the guy who can tell the future and the future isn't always bright, so they don't like him. He becomes an outcast and a very, like, I would tell you more about him, but yeah, we don't talk about Bruno (laughs) for those who've seen the movie. Sorry. Um, but if you haven't seen it, Bruno's gift wasn't loved by his family because, you know, um, because of this. And then he felt he wasn't loved. So, so I ran across this Facebook post. I want to read it for you. Um, it was referencing, you know, it was reflecting on the opening scene here. It says, parents often teach children lessons we never intended to teach. Last week we were talking about the lens our parents give us. Some of those lenses were, um, you know, accidental, not on, not on purpose. And we have to learn to take those off and put on new lenses because even the best parents aren't perfect. Because I know all of you are like the best parents, but even, you know, you're still not perfect. So parents often teach children lessons we never intended to teach. We tell them things, but we have no idea how the message will be internalized and we have no control over that. We can try to be more intentional about our words and check in every so often to try to uncover any stories our children may have internalized about themselves based on things we've said. And then they say, we can also affirm them as much as possible for no reason. Let me know, uh, let them know you are not only love them, but like them and are proud of them for who they are. For who they are, not just how they contribute to your family or to society or the accolades they get or how successful they are. I want to suggest today that to love like Jesus is to love people for who they are right now. And I want to also suggest that if you want people to become the best versions of themselves, whether it be your children or friends or your spouse, if you want people to actually become the best, like grow and change, the best avenue for that is to love them for who they are right now. And loving someone for who they are right now doesn't mean that they have to stay that way. And when they change and when they learn and when they have successes and failures, guess what? I think you should still love them for who they are right there whether it's good or bad. And I think Jesus makes this clear in so many ways, but there's one story that stands out to me. It's a prime example, um, and it's one of my favorite stories. It's one that you're probably familiar with. It's the story of the prodigal son. It's a parable that Jesus tells. I'm going to read it for you. Um, he's talking, he's, and it's, it's interesting to me, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I, I, I question whether I'd even say this, but, you know, Jesus wants to talk about um, God's love for us, and he uses parables, which are fictional stories that teach a lesson. And so he's talking about a father's or a parent's love for their child, and he chooses to use a fictional story, um, which might give some of you comfort. Like, he didn't tell stories about his parents, is what I'm saying. 
All right, just you can think about how I, I'm not read. You don't have to read into that. It's just an observation. So it's, it's a fictional story because sometimes we need to tell the story that we want to see in the world because we didn't experience it in reality. All right, so he tells this story. And he said, Jesus, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. He wanted his inheritance. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. So he's now working in a farm, a Gentile farm, we know, because it's pigs and Jews, not so much. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So he's severely underpaid. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. I get chills just reading it. The son had messed up, you know. He'd made arguably some bad decisions that led him in some difficult... He, He had messed up enough that he went to his dad and said, I'm not even worthy to be your son. And there's a problem with this. And this is the problem that Jesus is trying to get us to unpack. The problem is that we default as humans to think we can actually be unworthy to be someone's child. That, that my place in the family is based on what I do, how I contribute, whether I'm a blessing or whether I'm a curse or whether I am successful. And so he's defaulting to this human tendency where we're like, hey, I'm not, I've done, what I've done has now made it so that I shouldn't be your son anymore. But this parent being a little bit better than some and probably similar to many of us in this room said, no. Don't you? No. That's not how it works. I love you. I love you for who you are. You are my child. There's nothing that can change that. You were lost, and now you're found. You were dead, but now you're alive. We're throwing a party. (sighs) This is what it means to love like Jesus. He embraces him. You know, I, um, 
I was thinking about what it means to be a parent, and I just want to let you know that I am uh, not an expert on parenting. Anyone here an expert on parenting? Don't raise your hand. It was a, it was a trick. You knew it. I'm not an expert on parenting. I'm, I am doing the best that I can. Okay. Andy, were you going to raise your hand? I love it. Yeah. Well, it's the ones without kids who know how to parent best. I love that. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. I definitely knew how to parent until I had one. Um, that's great. I'm doing the best I can. I, I'm going to assume that you are too and that you did, that none of us are perfect, okay? But I was thinking about what it means to parent. I was thinking about my son. You know, and, and you never feel more like a parent than when your child gets sick. Finn got sick just yesterday. Um, not, uh, he has a stomach issue. If he eats the wrong thing, he gets very, very sick. Um, and then he's fine after it gets out of his system in all of the ways that things come out. So here we are, a marathon gas station. Cleaning up vomit off the floor of the gas station's bathroom. And uh, you, know, you really feel like a parent in those moments. And you know, all, all, you know he, he was so miserable. He didn't want to be there. He didn't want this happening to him. And I was thinking about my son, and I was, I was thinking about my life and how, you know, I've had it hard sometimes. And to be fair, I've had it pretty easy, all things considered. But it doesn't mean I haven't had some bad days, and I felt depressed. I felt like I didn't want to go on. I, I felt like I wanted to give up. I, I've, I've felt like a failure. I've made mistakes. I've done things that are embarrassing where I'm like, oh, please don't tell that story. That makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, I've done more embarrassing things than things I've told you guys, and that's probably why I share so much that I do, because there's more. There's more. I'll tell you about it, but not in this setting. And I was thinking about all, you know, I've, I've experienced life, as you have, right? And it hasn't always worked out, and there's been challenges. And, and then you start thinking, like, man, Finn's going to have to experience that by himself, I mean, you know, like to a degree, he's going to grow up. He's going to have to find a job. He's going to go to interviews and not get the job. He's going to probably get a job and be fired at some point. He's going to have relationships that don't work out. He might have friends that don't want to talk to him. He might be a part of a church that kicks him out or people in church that don't want to. You know, these are real things that we've experienced. And what happens? What can I do to prepare Finn for the difficulties in life? And, you know, I... I'm not an expert, but the only thing I know to do is I just feel like life is easier when he knows he's loved. I just, correct me if I'm wrong. I just feel like all of those things are going to be easier if he knows that he is loved and that he is valued, that he has worth. He doesn't have to prove anything to me. I want him to be the best version of himself. I push him to do things he finds uncomfortable. I make him do things he doesn't want to do sometimes. Usually it's silly things like leaving the house, but still, like I make him do things he doesn't want to do. And so I, you know, I get it, but like at the root of it, I hope that he knows that he's loved. So in Kanto, uh, by the end of the film, they, uh, this is the lesson. This is what they realize. Everyone's worth was so tied to gifts. And if you watch the movie, I recommend it. All the people who had these supernatural gifts had very low views of themselves. 
They, just, they didn't like themselves because there was so much pressure and so much expectation, and they had to do all of these things to live up to all of that expectation of this gift that they had. And the only person who really had a healthy view of themselves was Maribel, who didn't get a gift because she had learned to process that a lot earlier, and she was okay with who she was. And eventually everyone realizes what the main point is. And, and so I'm going to show you this clip, and I will tell you, it's a short clip. It's not the whole song, so I'm sorry. And two, the only version I could find was a sing-along version, so the words are on the screen. So I'm telling you that because it's not the whole song, so it will end, and then you're going to be sad. But um, let's, let's watch this here. Look at this home. We need a new foundation. It may seem hopeless, but we'll get by just fine. Look at this family, a glowing constellation, so full of stars. Everybody wants to shine, but the stars don't shine, they burn, and the constellations shift. I think it's time you learn, you're more than just your gift. And I'm sorry I held on too tight, just so afraid I'd lose you too. A miracle is not some magic that you've got. A miracle is you, not some gift, just you. A miracle is you, all of you, all of you. Okay, so we're gonna talk about Bruno. It's Bruno. Yeah, there's a lot to say about Bruno. You're more than your gift. Because the miracle is you, not some gift, it's you. You know, the song continues, and there's this really beautiful moment in the song. The entire village shows up. And you have to remember, this family thought so highly of themselves, they were the blessing and providers for this community. There's some church people like this, by the way. We are here to bless you. But at the end, their whole house is destroyed, and the family turns out they don't even like each other that much, and they're struggling. But the whole village that they were there to bless ends up being a blessing. And they show up, and they're singing. It's very dramatic. And they help build the house back up. And it's, the point is, like, really obvious. She was, the family was so worried about being a blessing to their community that they forgot that their community was meant to be a blessing to them. This is what it means to love like Jesus. This is what it means to be the church. It is not about doing it all by yourself. It is not about having it all figured out. It is not about what you can contribute and because you have these great things to offer that makes you more important than others. Nobody is more important than anyone else. We're all here trying to figure it out. And yes, you have gifts. And Maribel's gift, even though she didn't receive one, was what saved the family, it was her. It was who she was. It was her personality and her friendliness. And I think that's what it means. You know, there's this really great part of one of Paul's letters. And I've shared this before. I'm going to share it again. But it's, it's read often in weddings. Are you, are you familiar? It's 1 Corinthians 13. Do you know this one? You've been to a wedding. You might have read it. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love not, Okay. Here's what you need to know about this passage of love. And for you who already know this, I'm going to remind you because I need to remind myself. That is smack dab 
in the story of Encanto. It was a church where certain people had certain gifts, and because they had those gifts, everyone thought they was great, and those were the best gifts, and so they were more important, and everyone else who didn't have those gifts were less than. And Paul, in this letter, says, no, there is a better way. The greatest gift isn't the showiness or the things that you can, you know, all the things that make you impressive, all the things that earned your status that you have in the world. Those aren't the greatest gifts. The greatest gift you can ever give is love. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So I don't have much advice for parents because I'm trying to figure it out just like the rest of us. Um, but I, I did ask uh, uh, Molly, and uh, the rules aren't in here today, including their kids, so let's talk. Um, Molly's great. She's our children's person. She's, she's phenomenal. The rules family is great as well, and, you know, considered a, 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 a mentor to a lot of parents, and it's one of the reasons why they, they're, they're, they're wonderful to work with. I happen to know them well enough, and I don't think they'd mind me sharing it, that they're also not perfect, Okay. Sorry, guys. I know. If you know them, you would think so, because they are really great. But it turns out that they also are trying to figure out the best way to be a parent. And it's a, you know, you do, what you, you do the best that you can. And I sure hope they don't mind me saying that. Um, but I, I was talking to Molly, and I asked her for some thoughts on why our church should be invested in children's ministry. Why, why should we love kids? I'm going to read to you and share and elaborate a little bit on what she said. Here's the number, number one reason. I already shared this. She's reiterating it. She says, because Jesus did. She says, as you have preached before, Jesus elevated children in recognizing their human, humanity in a way that was countercultural. So because she said that, I had to start my sermon with that. I was like, oh, I guess we have talked about that. You know, the reality is, is that we believe kids are humans. I know that sounds a little strange, but like they are their own people. And I, one of my views on parenting is like Finn increasingly has his own opinions. Sometimes those opinions are wrong, all right? But, and we talk about that, but he has his own opinions and his own views and, and I'm trying to engage with him out of respect and be um, a, a good parent in that sense. The second reason she says we should have a great children's ministry is because we can learn a lot from children. She goes on and tells the story. She says, for example, last week's at our warm-up, which is like a pre to the class, in the primary city kids class, she asked everyone to share something beautiful that they had seen last week as a way of noticing God's presence among us. She says, I was touched as they mentioned simple things in nature, like beautiful colors of changing leaves, but without prompting, they also shared things like the artistic talent of a classmate or something kind that they saw someone else do. She says, children notice the miraculous and believe in things they can't see in a way we often forget as adults. In fact, Jesus says, you can't even enter the kingdom of God unless you enter as a child. Three, she says, we have a lot that we can give them. Often the most important things are simple, like listening. Most kids appreciate being seen and heard by an adult that isn't their parent. So just asking about their last soccer game, and this next one's very specific to my child, by the way, or listening to them tell you about Spider-Man is powerful. <laughs> and Finn would love to tell you about Spider-Man and Roblox. And she says, we can all do that. 
You know, as, as I think about my son growing up and, and, and realizing that the world can be difficult at times um, for everyone, and, and for some people, it's unbearable at times. Um, I, I remember the first moment I held my son, and I was uh, uh, kind of praying over him, and this prayer came to me that I've uh, saved and tried to remind myself. Um, I... I it came to me. It wasn't my idea, so to speak. But I said, you know, I was just thinking about this fragile human in my hands and what it would be like to see them grow up. And I remember praying, when difficulties come, may you face them with a heart that grows strong but not hard. You know, when difficulties come, which they're going to, this is life, you're going to have challenges. I, my prayer for Finn is that he'd face them with a heart that is able to grow strong but not hard, that, that bitterness wouldn't take root and that anger wouldn't take root and that he's able to be generous and kind because he's developed a strength and a confidence in who he is, not for what he can do because then when he fails, that confidence will be gone, but just because of who he is because he knows that he is loved by his parents, he knows that he is loved by God, and he knows that he is loved, I hope, by the church. And that remains my prayer for you all. When difficulties come, I pray that your heart could grow strong, but not hard. Let's pray. God, we come before you, and we know that we are uh, all just, uh, God, you know more than anything that we're all just doing the best that we can. And we are so grateful that we are not here alone, that we have each other, and that we have you. And that your spirit is able to work in and through us. And that even when we fall short, you are able to lift us up. And even when we are imperfect, you're able to smooth over our perfections. As the scriptures say, love covers a multitude of sins. So God, cover us in your love. And help us to love one another, to love each other, and to love our families. I give you thanks for each one here and for all of the the families, the diverse families of different experiences and parents and children and all of the unique struggles that that brings, the sleepless nights, the sickness, the illness, the challenges, the lost opportunities, and all of that, Lord, give us grace for one another and help us to love one another. In your name we pray and all of God's people said, amen.